0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the We Are podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Jared Pergar, along with my co-host, Corey Geiger. Corey, whiteout,
1: Penn State, <laughs> win. what are your thoughts? Man, just what a great night, Jared. I mean, we're just so everybody knows, uh, we're recording this at like 2 o'clock in the morning. So we've been at Beaver Stadium all night long, and folks, if you were at the stadium, I'm sure you had a blast, if you're watching on TV. Here's the thing, Jared. This is what Penn State football can be, is, aspires to be. Somebody tweeted at me late in the game about what a, what a commercial this was for Penn State. That this was as good of a night as maybe Penn State has had in a while. Not to say Auburn is great, but this is think about today, Jared. College game day, a commercial all day long. SEC op- opponent, you beat them. You're three and zero. You've got a great recruiting night. A kid already committed during the during the, the game. So you've got wins over Wisconsin, Auburn, you're in the top ten. Does it get any better than that when you combine all of those facets for Penn State? At this stage of
0: the game, I don't think it uh, – how can it get any better? You finally bring a
1: uh, high-profile,
0: non-conference team to Beaver Stadium, and you beat them. And statistically, let's be real, statistically speaking, although it didn't show up on the school board, scoreboard, they outplayed Auburn. James Franklin outcoached, out-coached Brian yeah. Harson. That's two games in a row now. That or not two games in a row, but two games out of the three, I and mean, you could say three for three. I mean, last week was Ball State. That's neither here nor there. But he out his out coach, Paul Crist and Brian Harson. Those are two
1: pretty good coaches in college football, and that's saying a lot from James Franklin. Okay, I thought Auburn's coaching was terrible tonight. To be honest with you, kicking a field goal on fourth and one from the twenty five when you had been running the ball great. I don't know if that was a terrible decision. But
0: can we talk about the goal line fade? Was well, that it, like the ghost of well, Kirk
1: Shiraka? or what? I think, you know, they hired Kirk Shiraka once they got the ball on first and goal at the 10. And they have a terrible first down call when you got Nick scrambling and incompletion. The second down call is a conservator. And the third down call is pretty good. It got to fourth and two. And then you throw that Kirk Shiraka fade special. We can break down the Auburn components Maybe a little bit more later. Because Auburn did some things. If I'm the Auburn media, to be honest with you, I'm ripping these guys because I thought they they had a chance to win. But let's look at it from the Penn State perspective. Again, this cannot be overstated. I've harped on this for a few weeks now. You go to Indiana last year and you lose. Then you lose to Ohio State. Your season was essentially over. All the goals that those kids wanted to work for last year, they were gone after a week and a half. And so to compare that to this year, Penn State's not just 3 and 0. They beat Wisconsin. And how good is Wisconsin? We don't know, but you go to Madison and win, that's a great win. Then you beat an SEC team. I just have to think that these that everybody associated with the Penn State program is sky high right now. Now, and I wrote this at DK Pittsburgh Sports on the site maybe we need to start thinking about college football playoff dreams. There are major obstacles with Iowa and Ohio State out there, Jared. But they have put themselves in position right now after two of the better wins that any program in the country has had this year. You know, we, we need to start thinking about the ultimate goals this year. No, and That's a really good point because
0: there aren't very many teams, if any, in the country that have had two
1: highly ranked wins. Iowa. Iowa beat Indiana, which isn't very good, but then they beat Iowa State. Other than Iowa... You can make the case Penn State probably has the two best wins of, of any program in the country. Right, and, and they've played, and they still haven't played a complete game.
0: You know, the special teams I, I thought was okay today. Jordan's down, punted, you know, did the kickoff thing. Nobody, there was not a touch, or the, we're all touchbacks, whatever. Didn't have to kick a field goal. But listen, that run game is, is struggling, and that's something we can touch on later. But mm-hmm. Penn State is at, top, is at the top of the world, number one, recruiting class right now, you're 3-0, and you're going to rise in the rankings. I yeah. think Penn State, you know, early projections have them around 6, and I think that's a really fair assessment of the Penn State program to date.
1: Yeah, and, and look, again, it's all about the confidence level of the players in the program. And how about Sean Clifford? we got a lot of things we're going to touch on throughout the podcast, but Sean Clifford needs to be mentioned highly up, 28 out of 32. Let me repeat that for those who maybe don't study the stats – 28 out of 32, 280 yards against an SEC defense. Now, he did throw one interception on a deep throw. He got greedy. But a couple touchdowns. Jared, we wondered what kind of quarterback Sean Clifford would be this season. James Franklin, a couple of different times after the game, said Sean managed the game well. Now, I'll ask you, do you, did you think Sean Clifford played a great game tonight, or did he manage the game and do what was necessary? As far as a game manager, he did, he did exactly what he
0: needed. Now, the offensive line, I thought, played really well in front of him. At times, he had all day to throw. Yep. And it was, you know, when that happens, that's great. Now, at that same token, it was only one interception that was... That was today. He has been relatively mistake-free throughout the first three games of the season, and that's what you need. That's what we. That's what Penn State fans. That's what Penn State didn't get out of Sean Clifford last
1: season. Yeah, and the two long sustained touchdown drives in the first half. Uh, this offense is not what I had kind of hoped to see yet. It took a while in 2016 for the Moorhead offense to really get going. It's taken a while for this Mike Yersich offense to, to really start to do some of the things that maybe we think it could be, but they did have an 88 yard touchdown drive and a 91 yard touchdown drive in the first half. They came out, boom, boom. You had just mentioned, Hey, maybe you get the tight ends involved and then boom, they go back to back long throws to the tight ends. Good recognition. A couple nice plays on the next one. A big catch by Jahan Dotson, and then a throw by Jahan Dotson for 22 yards. So we, we we started to see some glimpses tonight of maybe what the offense can be. You're right about the running game, but hey, Sean Clifford is not just taking off and running whenever you know things kind of break down. He's he's staying patient and, and poised in the in the pocket. Uh, Jahan Dotson is catching everything. Again, we're starting to see just little glimpses. And next week's Villanova, we'll see more of that. And then they've got Indiana. So this season is building up to, look, Iowa and Ohio State. I'm still thinking they lose both of those games. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. Those are incredibly difficult road environments. But regardless of what, what happens then, Penn State is building confidence and doing everything that it can before then to go into those games thinking they can win. And listen, it's a very
0: confident bunch. We've heard Sean Clifford, this is the most confident that he's been. It's shown. Jaquan Brisker, this is the most confident our defense has been. And the Penn State defense has played incredibly well over three games. They've given up, what, 43 total points? And in three games, and that's 20 tonight. You have uh, 10 against Wisconsin and 13 against Ball State last week. That is a very, very good defense.
1: Yeah, there's no question. James said during the week that they're playing championship-level defense, and they are. Um, Again, it's early. Uh, We've talked a lot about Wisconsin, didn't do a lot of great things. But, hey, they held a good Auburn offense to 20 points. Bo Nix was what we thought Bo Nix would be, inconsistent. He would look good at times. Auburn ran for 180 yards. If you'd have told me that Auburn was going to run for 182 yards, Jared – I think you and I talked about it on my radio show the other day, what was kind of the over-under of yards for for Auburn that they could win. I would have said, hey, if you're running for 180, I'm thinking they're going to win the game because I thought Bo Nix would be better than he was. Uh, But, hey, that defense stepped up, made plays, came up with the stop on the fourth and two, Uh, again, on the Kirk Shiraka fade special. Brandon Smith, this is a key because we we are going to talk about pros and cons, positives and negatives. Brandon Smith dropped an interception right to him that probably would have been a pick six. And if they lose this game, you look back at that play. You always look back at plays differently when you win versus when you lose. Brandon Smith's got to catch that ball. I mean, that Neil Riddell from the Altoona Mirror, a longtime colleague of mine, it's one of his pet peeves, he's always talking about they're dropping interceptions you, you got to catch the ball when it's right to you. And so those are the things that in a win can still be good learning experiences.
0: Well, it's one of those my the favorite video game quotes. It's That's why they're playing, playing defense. It's their hands. <laughs> nice, but yeah. when we come back here in the second segment, we'll talk a little bit more about what's good about Penn State football and what's bad about it so far. And we're going to talk about the damn officiating because that was embarrassing. We'll catch you right here in a couple minutes on the We Are podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the next segment of the We Are Podcast and the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Corey. <laughs> man. Oh man, we said you alluded to it at the end of the first segment. Bruno. I don't know that Absolutely there is anything brutal. worse than the SEC officiating in Saturday night's
1: game. Folks, I, I I wanna preface this by saying, and you know Jared's a friend of mine. Jared coaches youth sports. I'm sure you feel this way. I'm around kids, coaching youth sports. I'm around officials a lot. A lot of my good friends are officials. Shout out to guys like Ted Beam, Dick Wagner, working the Altoona Curve Press Box. I have tremendous respect for officials, Jared, as I'm sure you do as well. You know these folks. Officials have hard jobs. They have thankless jobs that you're just expected to be right 100% of the time. I try to make it a personal policy to not criticize officials. Officials don't determine games. If, if you're going to your kid's high school basketball or football game and you think the official screwed your team and cost your team a win, think back at 15 other plays in that game that your kid, your team could have done better, and, and that's why you won or lost. We have a tendency – would you agree with this? We have a tendency in our sporting culture to just blame the officials for everything. Right, and some of them deservedly so. I mean, they, listen – there's a human aspect to the game.
0: It's uh, a game of life. To the to the game of officiating and to everything. That's why robot umpires. I, I don't necessarily agree with because the human aspect of it. But at times, the human aspect is absolutely downright terrible. And that's what we had in this game. First of all, you're playing uh, a home game against an sec team with an sec officiating team and that just is a recipe for disaster number one number two you expect your officials to be able to count yeah and
1: in football officials only really have to count to four how can they not how can you mess that up yeah the the intentional grounding call on sean clifford where the receiver cut the route short I I, I didn't quite get a good look at it live, and then I didn't have a replay, so you and I were talking about it. Well, maybe it is grounding if you overthrow it, but... There was no pressure on the guy. That's just a bad call. I mean, the receiver cut the route short. You're never going to see that called grounding. And I think there was a lot of confusion from that because they went from that and they put the down marker to third down. That was first down. So Penn State loses a play. Jared, look, I go back to, I think it was, uh, this is many years ago, folks, the Colorado and I think Nebraska game where Cordell Stewart got the fifth down. Maybe it was Missouri, Colorado, Missouri, uh, where they got a fifth down. Well, they got, Penn State got a down taken away on that series, and they were punting on third down because both the officials on the field and the replay officials thought it was fourth. That can't happen. That can't happen. This This is a whiteout game in front of millions of people, an SEC crew that apparently, I think, was in the SEC title game a couple years ago, I was told. So this apparently is a good crew, So they blow that. You got the P.J. Mustapher run on the fake punt where the pile was still moving forward. You can blow it dead or or whatever if the pile stops. He was still moving forward. You get a bad spot there. Penn State should have had a first down. You had a call on uh, Brandon Smith on a late hit out of bounds where he barely touched Bo Nix and they flagged him for that. I mean, Jared, the officiating, and again, I I take great – I have great respect for officials, but th- that can't happen. That's unacceptable. As poorly as those officials were uh, uh, did tonight. Yeah, and listen, if Penn State loses, you
0: can go back to a lot of those plays, and you know that those are big factors. You know what happens if that on third down instead of punting they get a first down? You know it, it's just one of those situations. But there was much more than meets the eye with the officials this year or this game. And listen, it's a hard job. Nobody's perfect. Um, neither Corey or I are. So you know, it, it's just one of those situations. But
1: let's get back to the game. Let's give Penn bit. State credit because Penn State overcame those calls. And again, if they, <laughs> you know as well as I do, anybody listen to this. You guys would have all gone ballistic if Penn State had lost this game mm-hmm. looking back on some of those calls. But the kids stayed. They, they stayed mentally strong. One of the players said after the game might have been Noah Kane uh, talking about just the mental toughness of the players on this football team. And I, I do give them a lot of credit for, uh, for for staying the course despite a lot of things going against them. Right, and I think,
0: honestly, this I've said this before, This is I think this is James Franklin's
1: best coached. Season, I understand We're only three so games in. So far, where's some wood, Jared? You got some wood? We got a knock. On. I'm knocking on your I'm knocking on your shoulder here. Knock on wood. <laughs> and now, uh, and that's the thing,
0: though, right? It, he's won two ranked games, but this team is ready to play. We don't have those. We don't, or we're not seeing the setbacks. We're not seeing the the bumps in the road just yet. Like Penn State beat an SEC ranked team, uh, number 22 in the country, Auburn. They went on the road at Camp Randall and won. Penn State is taking care of business and that's something that they really haven't
1: always done under Franklin. Yeah, and look. I mentioned the college football playoff earlier. Is Penn State one of the four best teams in the country? No. No, I don't I don't believe that. But a, a college football season. Let's go back to the 2005 season. Nobody thought that Penn State team was, you know, a, an elite team that year. A season you build on. You build from one game to the next. Even 2016, after, after Pitt, after Michigan, what Penn State became with each win, growing the confidence, growing the offense, I, I just see a lot of parallels to both of those seasons, Jared, where it's at least possible now. You're not going to have a special season if you lose to Wisconsin. You're not going to have a special season necessarily if you lose to Auburn. But by beating both of these – you keep that special season in line, and we just have to no, – none of us can predict the future, but you kind of, in the back of your mind, start to think where this could go if this team continues to make the strides from week to week. Villanova this week, Indiana, then Iowa. By the time they get to Iowa, if they're still undefeated and they go out to Kinnick you know, with a lot of confidence – there's another chance for you to you know, beat a top-five team and to continue your special season.
0: With the way things are going in the top ten, there's a very good chance that when they go to Kinnick uh, in just a few weeks, yeah. they could be in the top four or top five Both of the country. Of them. Both of them. Both of them, yeah. And and that's, you know, obviously that game is circled on the calendar for everybody, but, but James Franklin is clearly focused on Villanova uh, by this point in the evening. But it's just going to be one of those situations. And Penn State has the opportunity to continue to build on this confidence. We talked about that in the first segment. But they still have room to grow. We haven't seen the entire offense yet. This is just a vanilla offense. Now,
1: very, very cute offense at times. Too cute, um, (laughs) especially. I want to share a story here. You guys might get a kick out of this. All right, So Mike Yersich was phenomenal. Early on, with some of the play calls. Later on, they got a little. The, the one play call to Tyler Warren for the touchdown was great. He went to the well again. Tyler Warren's running out didn't work. Uh, a jet sweep to Jahan Dotson uh, with one yard to go. That was a terrible play call. Up eight. So, yeah. By the way. So Chris Peterson, the, the Penn State SID, uh, apparently somebody relayed to James Franklin between the time the game ended and he came down to speak to us in the media because James already knew, folks, <laughs> that people were blasting them on Twitter for some of these play calls. He even said, you know, from the Twitterverse, people are thinking that it's too cute. So if you want to know if these, play, if these coaches are, are, are following what people are saying on Twitter, uh, <laughs> James Franklin knew 20 minutes after the game what some folks are writing on Twitter. And that's what makes it so
0: so funny. But, you know, such a, you, he gets a lot of flack right now. And, listen, deservedly so. You're the offensive coordinator for an offense that really hasn't proven anything right now. But at the same time, they're 3-0. and yep. Sean Clifford is playing the best football of his career to date. And yep. the, the Penn State passing game, while it's not, you know, gaudy and, and they're throwing the lights out of the building by any means, they are productive and they're getting output. From
1: three receivers, hey Jared, you running called backs, it the tight ends, and the tight you, ends. We were just talking about it in the press box. You called the tight end. Tight ends had 130 yards receiving today, Jared. With if, if they have that kind of total, this is a, a very dangerous offense.
0: And that's three different tight ends. Yeah, and Tyler Warren obviously got time at quarterback, but he was a high school quarterback to boot. But Tyler Warren, look at you dropping the what? Are you, you studying Tyler Warren's bio during the game? Somebody sent me that. Impressive, but. Uh, you've got Brenton Strange. You've got Theo Johnson. And then you've got, you know, three receivers. And like Jahan Dotson, who's had a spectacular season. He had a great game tonight. Um, passing and catching the football. And then you've also got um, Keandre Lambert-Smith, who's been productive. And, and really the least productive receiver right now of the starters is Parker
1: Washington. And he's still having a really good season. Yeah, they, they we knew they would have weapons. i got to go back to 28 out of 32. man. I don't care if if you're lining up with your dudes at a high school field playing pickup football. You go 28 out of 32 against anybody at any level. That's impressive. Uh, and so, but it's interesting because Sean Clifford didn't look like a great quarterback today. He just looked like a quarterback making all of the plays that you needed to make. And then you look up at the stats, and and there they are. The defense, Jared, is going to be good. You think about Iowa, you think about Ohio State, you think about Michigan, Michigan State. Michigan State's pretty good. Um, You know what? How are those all those factors going to come into play? But if the offense really figures things out, akin to like what that 2016 Joe Moorhead offense did, it became unstoppable as things went on. Again, I I know that I'm maybe uh, being overly optimistic here, and I'm not generally accused of being overly optimistic with Penn State, but uh, hey. At three and zero, if if you're gonna dream about a college football playoff, there's you're at least I think in the discussion right now. Yeah, and
0: let's be real, this they're doing this without a running game. We saw John Lovett for the first time this yeah. year. He was involved in a passing game, one reception, uh, first down uh, for 18 yards uh, on the pen, on Penn State's last scoring drive. Kevon Lee had a fumble. We didn't see him the rest of the day. Um, Noah Kane is struggling to get it going. That offensive line and pass protection has been pretty damn good. Yes. Um, And when you're, like, Sean Clifford at one point, I think, was in the backfield for 12 seconds, and there wasn't (laughs) a single Auburn Tiger anywhere Uh, near him. It was like the Tiger King just got to all of them. And the offensive line has played rather well in pass protection. But what seems to be the issue in the running game? Is it too many guys? Are you are, But but what, what
1: is it, Corey? What do you think it is? Let's see, James makes six million a year. Mike Yersich makes, we think, more than one point five million a year. So there's seven point five million dollars. If I had any freaking answers, I would I would be coming up here asking for a damn contract because I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't think the offensive line is opening up holes for the running backs. Um, I, I think these teams are daring Penn State to throw the ball, and, and Sean Clifford is beating them. I, I wish I could break down the all-22 and see everything of what's going on, but uh, the bottom line is, the running game was, it's just not been what you're going to need it to be. And I keep coming back to Iowa and Ohio State. But you're going to need those guys to come up with some plays. And uh, that's, that's one of the big pieces of the puzzle. you is so just going to have to figure out.
0: You mentioned it. Teams are daring Sean Clifford to beat them. And he is doing it. Yeah. The, uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin's front seven is, is one of the best in the country. They held Eastern Michigan to 16 yards last week. They had a bye this week, so obviously they held their opponent to zero yards this week because there was none. But 16 yards, even if it is Eastern Michigan, that's pretty impressive. So obviously Wisconsin, running against Wisconsin was never going to be an easy thing. Ball State's Ball State. They ran for 240 yards, whatever. But Auburn, you have to get the ball rolling. They had uh, somewhere in the 90s as far as yards go. I, I believe it was 94 yards, and... That's just not gonna get the job done later in the season. Because yep. as Sean Clifford is beating teams with the arm with his arms, they have five receivers that have they have to account for. Because if you're running a double tight set or or whatever, and you've got Andre Lambert Smith out there, you've got Jahan Dodson, who is quickly becoming one of the best receivers in college football. And You've also got Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson. You've got Parker Washington, too. And you've got them back out of the backfield. There are so many guys that you
1: have to account for. There's got to be some scheme things, yes. wouldn't you think, Jared, that they get, get guys in different formations and things, and that would, that's what Mike Yursich just paid the big bucks to do. But you know, you know what we should talk about in our next segment? usc let's take a break here because we didn't get a chance to talk we only do this one podcast over the weekend and we've got to address the usc stuff before we move forward we're gonna hop on a jet plane hopefully
0: it's still in the tarmac they've had a bunch of issues with that throughout the last couple of years but when we get back uh for the next segment we'll talk about usc and what's next for penn state football moving forward uh on the we are podcast on the dk pittsburgh sports podcasting network Welcome back to the third and final segment of the We Are podcast of the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Prugar. Listen, we're just getting onto a plane. We're on the tarmac, and the plane is tilting up. Somebody forgot to lock the tail fin. And if that is not the perfect metaphor for the USC program, I don't know what is, but it's not just about planes and tarmacs. Sorry, Lane Kiffin. Doubt that you're listening, but uh, we're sorry to bring that up. But speaking of USC coaches, James Franklin has been linked to USC in every high-profile opening since 2016.
1: Let's put this to bed, Corey. What's what's next? That's the thing here. I want to mention this first and foremost so everybody understands. I don't want to just be talking and writing about this all season, okay? Um, but unfortunately, again, we only have the podcast on, on, on Sundays. Jared and I didn't get to discuss the huge news of the week. Uh, and, and so we're going to do this right now. And unless there's another development, I, I'm not going to just keep coming back to this, either in, in writing or on the podcast, because there's a, we're, gonna, we're not going to have an answer to this for two three months, Jared. There's a lot of season left. So let's just get this out of the way now. And if you're out there wondering... Geiger, Prugar, get off USC. Look, we got to talk about this. This is something that's important. And I want to say, first and foremost, that I do not think James Franklin is going to USC. That, that's, that's my prediction. I wrote a column this week saying that James Franklin to USC would make sense. And it would. It would make sense for James Franklin, for a lot of reasons, to go to USC. And it would make sense for USC for a lot of reasons, to hire James Franklin. It would. If, you, if you're out there denying that basic premise, then you just don't understand either situation. But in writing that James Franklin to USC would make sense, Jared, I got ripped to hell by a, a lot of Penn State fans for having the audacity and the gall to claim that Franklin w- would leave. I don't think he would leave, and I'll I want to get your thoughts on it here in a second. I don't think James Franklin is going to leave. There are pros and cons for both jobs. I can see either way, but I, to deny the possibility this this is going to be a story. I would be sh- I would be uh, shocked if James Franklin a- is agent has not already had contact. With some people involved at USC. Folks, that's just the way it goes. Whatever these coaches say or don't say publicly doesn't mean that there's not a lot of wheels turning behind the scenes.
0: Right, and wait, you said that people have been on your case in the Penn State family? Never,
1: that's never happened before. I am sure. I only got two death wishes this week only two. That's a step down from last week. Yeah, that was a it, I big got, win. I haven't gotten any death wishes since the scandal. So that uh, this was a little bit of a shock. But hey, we're moving up for you. It goes Corey. to show how much passion there is in the fan base and right. I get that. But I think there's also zaniness in the fan base because I think look Jared, some Penn State fans think that Penn State is the greatest thing in the history of the universe and that no one would ever consider leaving Penn State for any reason whatsoever. And that is blind devotion and and I think zaniness that fans don't understand that is just how college football works it's never been that way at penn state because you had a coach for 50 years but that's how generally the rest of college football works right and listen
0: it's okay that he is entertaining these offers because guess what that's meant recently number one raises number two you're upgrading facilities surrounding Penn State's football program. The Wash Building is getting renovated. Beaver Stadium eventually will be renovated and upgraded. Um, hopefully, you they think would, you hopefully would hope that five hundred million dollars, man, the that's, press box—that's five hundred million dollars.
1: They got to find. I mean, that's a lot of money. Well,
0: hey listen, they made thirty-three thousand dollars off the fifty-fifty, <laughs> nice. but but listen, James Franklin is is a, is on his way to being what could be a top-tier coach. He's never going to be a step close to the Sabins or the, the Swinnies in the world. But at the same time, use it as leverage. It does him no good to come out and say, hey, I'm not interested. Yeah, he might not be fully devoted and fully interested in getting out of Penn State. I don't know why you would leave right now. Again, 3-0, you're one of the hottest teams in the country, hottest on the recruiting trail. Things are really, really looking up for Penn State football. So use this as leverage to get more money for you, more money into your program and use it for the better good, because athletics is
1: truly the front porch to the university. Now again, um, there are a lot of factors in play here, and we're not just going to go on with this for 30 minutes, but I would want to point out a couple of things here. Uh, LA, USC, in, in a best case scenario, some people would consider that a better job than Penn State and State College. For some people, Penn State and State College would be better than, than LA and USC. Well, there are all these taxes in California. How do you make the money work? How could your family come see you? They're, everybody's different. I have no idea what's going on in James Franklin's heart or his family's heart and whether or not they truly love State College Pennsylvania or if they might consider leaving. N- none of us can know that, okay? But the bottom line is James Franklin would be a fool to not listen to USC. And James Franklin is not a fool. He is a brilliant man. He is extremely smart. He knows how to work this. Jared, what are you talking about leverage? Well, James got his contract renegotiated. He now makes more than $6 million. This, this information is not public record. We think Mike Yersich makes more than $1.5 million. I've heard up to two. We think Brent Pry makes more than $1.5 million. Coordinators at Penn State not too long ago made six, seven, eight hundred grand, Jared. They've doubled these figures. So when we're talking leverage here, it's not even just about James Franklin's contract. It's about getting more money for your coordinators. How many times have we heard James, directly or indirectly, talk about the analysts that other programs have? You think if Nick Saban wants to get five more analysts to come analyze, you know, what another team does, you think he's going to get a no at Alabama? Penn State kind of has to say no sometimes because they've got these other expenses mm-hmm. that you talked about. That's what we're talking about with leverage, folks. James Franklin does not get everything he wants at Penn State. He probably still has to be told no some. Mark Wogan, Ertz from Sports Illustrated, wrote a terrific – brought real good connecting the dots this week. It wasn't just, but just a few months ago that some members of the Board of Trustees voted against the $48 million upgrade to the Lash Building. You think they're voting against upgrades at Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State, Jared? So, what does that tell you? Some of you fans that think Penn State has it as good as anybody in the world, but yet Jay Paterno and some others are voting against a $48 million upgrade to Lash Building. Now, that thing did a, a ultimately pass, but that's what we're talking about here when we talk about, you know, Penn State is good as it is. There are still some restrictions and limits that James Franklin might feel, e- even with as much as he's already won in the leverage battle. Well, and first, before we go any
0: further, that would require Jay Paterno to know anything about the game of college football. Hi-oh! But... You going there, huh? Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, we've we've had these conversations before. It's no surprise that he voted against football. But that's neither here nor there. Let's move on. But what does
1: it say about the people at the school if if you're told no ever about... Look, I'm sorry to say this, but Penn State has 31 athletic programs. Maybe it shouldn't. Maybe it shouldn't. You know... Maybe they should could re, every dollar that you can reallocate to your cash king, which is football, can only help football. But Penn State has hell bent on having 31 athletic programs. Uh, I think 27 of them lose money, and, and those are some of the things that you deal with when you want to be all encompassing to everybody.
0: Right, and and let's be real, it, it, running college athletics programs is not cheap. You know, you don't always have endless pockets like with. Terry Pagula and, and Kim Pagula. So you need to get that money from somewhere. If we would have driven up separately, Corey, and I would have had to buy a parking pass for this game, it would have been $60. $60. $60. to park in a grass field in the middle of nowhere. That's craziness. But that money helps fund the rowing team, the fencing team, national champions, by the way, the wrestling team. It all helps. Call it, and that's why Penn State needed football. If Penn State would have gotten the death penalty, there would be no Penn State. There'd be no
1: Penn State athletics because of the money that football generates. And see, that's what we're talking about here, that everybody wants to take so much. There's so much passion. So if you even suggest, which is all I did was suggest that maybe James Franklin to USC would make sense, people get offended. How dare you even suggest that James Franklin might leave Penn State? These are the reasons why. These are the reasons why. We haven't even gotten a name, image, likeness. Ohio State's quarterback, Ewers, is getting a million dollars in image and likeness. The the, the Alabama quarterback's getting a million dollars. Sean Clifford is selling $60 cameos. Do you see the difference? That's not a knock on Sean Clifford. If James Franklin or any coach goes to L.A., how much do you think they could get for some of those kids in name image likeness how, how much could Matt Leinart or Reggie Bush get in name image likeness at USC a million bucks could the, you imagine the money that Reggie Bush would have made actually, le- legally Saquon Barkley If Saquon Barkley yeah. that, that look folks there are so many elements to this and again we, we could go through pros and cons left and right ultimately I am going to I'm going to go out on a limb right now and say I think James Franklin stays at Penn State for this reason and this is the biggest single reason in my mind Jared job security If you go to USC and you struggle, because it could be a rebuilding process there for two or three years, if you struggle more than expected, he could be fired in two or three years. Yes, he could potentially win a national championship faster at USC, I believe, than he can at Penn State. I still think Penn State's a ways away from getting into a championship game and beating an Alabama, beating a Clemson or a Georgia. Even if they get to the playoffs, then you got to beat those teams. I think USC could get to a playoff and win a title before Penn State. And I'm not sorry if I'm offending anybody by saying that, but there are things in place at USC that maybe could allow that to happen. But if he struggles, Jared, he could be fired in two to three years. Mm. If he stays at Penn State, he could be here 20 years. So I'm going to put you on the spot. What happens to
0: James Franklin? I think James Franklin stays, I think, and we talked about this on your radio show, I think as it stands tonight Penn State as a program is better right. than USC. Historically, right now, right historically now, yep. maybe not so much. But right now, they are better. So I don't think it makes sense for him to go, but I do think it makes sense for him to say, you know what, I'm going to kick the tire, so to speak, absolutely. for leverage. And it's purely leverage. But enough about James Franklin. This atmosphere tonight was absolutely insane in, in a good way.
1: Yeah, I enjoy the whiteout, but I'm going to say this. I don't think it really impacted Auburn a tremendous amount, and that was a debate kind of coming in. Uh, this, the whole the, Some people from the SEC were downplaying the whiteout. I, I tweeted this before the game. It's stupid to downplay the whiteout. The whiteout is a sensational college football spectacle. It just is. It's It's spectacular. But to think that Auburn was going to come in here and be intimidated by it, when they go to Alabama and LSU and some other places, Mm -hmm. I think was downplaying how special the environments are in the SEC.
0: Right, and if there was a team that was well-equipped to handle a whiteout, it's Auburn.
1: You're playing against— came in here in white uniform, Jared. I love that. Oh, white. That's basically just thumbing your nose at the whiteout by coming in here in the all-white uniform. Well, and Bo Nix was the lead
0: stormtrooper, and you know what? He was about as inaccurate as a stormtrooper was in shooting a gun. (laughs) Uh, With some of his uh, some of his deep balls, but the whiteout is back. They had
1: what Auburn only had two false starts. Penn State had a false start as well. Rasheed Walker. I I honestly didn't really think the whiteout impacted the football game. No, I I mean it was a cool (laughs) spectacle. But we've been there before for Ohio State in 2016. I was not there in 05. But we've seen the whiteout impact the other. I, I I give Auburn credit. And, and it's exactly what i expected. They're an SEC team. They're used to that. You're not going to scare Auburn by a wideout. out. But it, it it hey, look, it is a pretty cool deal.
0: No, and and it was it was uh, obviously, you know, 110,000 109,958 people i think was the was the actual attendance announced. You know, anytime you can get that many people into a stadium, that's an incredible Pretty atmosphere. It was, it was great to be a part of. And and driving in, and, and you were here last week. I obviously was uh, was in Pittsburgh covering the Pirates. But, you know, to see the tail getting back is great. But a, a team like Auburn isn't impacted by that. Next week, though, Penn State brings Villanova to town for a noon game.
1: What are you expecting from Penn State next week? To beat the crap out of them. That's, that's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting for Penn State to come in and not overlook Villanova like Florida State did, Jacksonville State. <laughs> I, I think James Franklin's 1-0 mentality, they're going to respect Villanova. Now, I understand Villanova beat Richmond Saturday. That's a, that's a nice win. Richmond's had a nice program. I hope Villanova comes in here and, and gives a little bit of a, of a good effort, but I don't expect Penn State to take them lightly. I expect them to get up big, score a lot, maybe we'll see take one Roberson for the entire fourth quarter. Um, and it's going to be one of those things where as much hype and enthusiasm and energy as there was about this game uh, against Auburn, there really won't be any of that against Villanova. I've covered Penn state long enough to know that when these kind of week game weeks show up, uh, you know, the Penn state fan base kind of does a collective yawn and uh, it starts to look ahead to the next big game.
0: Right. And, Let's be real. This, the student section was filled up almost an hour before the game. Yeah, they did a good job of that. The sta- and the the entire stadium was filled about 30 minutes before the game. That's not going to happen against Villanova. And really, let's be let's be honest. It's probably it, it shouldn't. It's a noon kickoff game, but you can't overlook the Wildcats. And but now with Penn State, you know, I would imagine they're going to be in the 6th to
1: six to eight range. I think um, maybe I, we have. I haven't looked at the entire. As top far team. as
0: a, probably eight, maybe. Yeah, I think as high as six and as as low as eight. I think they do move up because this was a ranked game. This is an important game, but now when you're playing teams like
1: Villanova, now you're going for style points. Yeah. Now I agree you're with that. looking to run it up. It's and, not even just style points. It's making sure, just like against Ball State, you get control of the game, and then you get a bunch of dudes in games because. We still may need to see Taequann Roberson in a key situation this year, Jared. You're going to feel better the more snaps he can get against a Ball State or a Villanova. Leave no doubt,
0: because you look at the scores here. Oklahoma struggled with Nebraska. Maybe this is yeah. Nebraska being back. Good for Nebraska. I'm glad right. to see that. that me, yeah. 23-16. Oklahoma's a third-ranked team in the country. Texas A&M 34-0 over uh, New Mexico. Cincinnati struggled in the first half against Indiana. Indiana's best player gets knocked out due to a what I thought was a bogus targeting call, but my opinion really doesn't matter. They end up winning, um, just going through some different scores through the Big Ten, or through the Top Ten, I should say. Uh, West Virginia beats Virginia Tech for the Black Diamond Trophy. That was kind of cool. I think Neil Brown's doing a great job at WVU. Um, and then you just kind of look down the line: Alabama and Florida. Alabama beat hey, Florida, beats gave Florida Alabama by two.
1: Everything that was—I watched that. I was I was stunned. Alabama was up twenty-one to three in that game, and that's typically when Alabama puts its foot on your throat. And Florida, give them a lot of credit for coming back. So, But, look, I will say this as we kind of wrap this up, Jared. Uh, Penn State's in great shape. It'll be 4-0 next week. I, and then Indiana comes in, and I think Penn State's got that game circled. So, uh, as I've said a couple times here, there is so much reason for optimism with the football team right now. And when you compare that to the 0-5 start last year, it is just, it is just so different night and day.
0: No, and absolutely, and and I think that's you know that's the beauty of coaching too. James Franklin turned the season around last year. You know, kind of bit the bullet and and really got the team back to where wanted. they started. They've now won seven games in a row, yeah. and that's without a bowl game. They didn't go to a bowl game last season. They win the last four. They've started with the with winning their first three. I think it goes to four zero next week, but. For now, it's on to Villanova and the Wildcats, and
1: for Corey and I, we've got to get home, get to sleep, because... What time is it, Jared? It's 3.01 a.m. when we finish this up. Hopefully, everybody enjoys. We're we're trying to have some fun with these podcasts, but uh, for a late night, man, these, these things are getting recorded very late.
0: We are night owls by trade. We're... We just do it all here with the We Are podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. For Corey Geiger, this has been Jared Prugar. Thank you, and we'll talk to you after the Villanova game next week.